Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to the latest AFTN post-game show on YouTube. It's also a podcast recording. We're a little bit late because Steve had more attempts to log into this than the Whitecaps had shots in the last two games against TFC. But we'll get to all that. Let's introduce ourselves to kick everything off. If you don't know, I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. We are back for another show. We're going to talk Whitecaps. We're going to talk Canadian Premier League. We're going to talk World Cup qualifiers. There's a lot in store. But we are going to kick things off talking Whitecaps. MLS is back, back. And we're just staying in Canada. Doing a, a never-ending round robin. We've played two games against TFC. We've got another game coming up on Tuesday against Montreal. Then a little bit of a break. Then we welcome our Eastern friends out here. Can't wait for that because these two games have been so much fun so far. And everything they'll bring to us too. Yes. From the East. I don't know. It's more likely that we're going to be giving it to them the way that things are going out here in BC just now. But No, I'm, thinking, I'm talking about like powder milk and uh, other stuff like that. Oh, yeah. for, for our ration books, yeah. yeah. We haven't obviously done a show since Tuesday's game. And I don't want to delve too much into that, but let, let's just get your thoughts from that game on Tuesday to kick things off. It was 3-0, and I think it's pretty fair to say the Whitecaps were lucky to get nil. <laughs> he overperformed to get the nil, basically. Yeah. Oh, man. How did you come away from that? Because that... Lucas Cavallini described it as embarrassing, and he also said it can't get worse than that, and we're all like, oh, Lucas... You've got so much to learn about being here in Vancouver. Yeah. If you think you hit the bottom of the barrel, there's a lot more there where it came from. It'd be nice if he could hit something, but back of the net would be nice. I think right now he's just trying too hard because there's no there's no support, so he's trying to do everything himself, and it's not working because he's not that type of player. I feel I feel lucky because uh, I've been on holidays, and so I didn't actually, didn't actually watch it uh, live. I've only seen parts of it. And, oh, we don't want to spoil it for you then. Yeah, no, no. This is not like the Voyager's Cup for you a couple of years ago, Steve. I, I won't, I won't be going back to look it, at it. You at should. All. I, I have it on the PVR. I haven't deleted it yet, and I'm, I'm thinking I might watch it again. It, it could also be the Cornelius effect, the the differences between the two games, because you know, he seems to. Uh, I think he had a really good record at the bubble, 
And today they only let one goal in, where opposed to the last game was three. So, yeah, I don't I, know what he needs to do to make sure he's a regular, but he seems he seems to perform better when he's in the lineup. I I I think the way that things are going, we've got a chance of making it into the starting lineup though before the end of the season. Just to, between injuries, folk not traveling, people breaking rules, which will come to others seemingly not wanting to play for the Whitecaps, if you can believe delivery food people, but. These are all things that will come to over the course of the show. Let's look at tonight's game first. It is a post-game show, so let's get into tonight's game. It wasn't as bad as Tuesday. There's a positive. That's one for the, the good, the bad and the ugly part of the show. We only let in one goal as opposed to three. And it wasn't like Tuesday was three goals going on six, seven or eight. Tonight was one maybe going on two or three. I think TFC kind of took their foot off the, the pedal a little bit. It looked like it, yeah. It looked a little scary in the first half. Um, yeah. It looked like it was going to be run away with it, but they, yeah, like either the Whitecaps tightened up or TFC let off the gas. It was either or. Uh, I think it's more TFC let off the gas. I mean, come on. Like, I mean, the first game was a little bit different, but these look like TFC has brought in some team to do training against. Like, yeah. Tonight, it was, it was so slow. The pace, the, like, the pace was so slow. And, Vancouver was so defensive and so pushed back so deep, like started so deep that yeah. TFC was just having, it was like TFC, it was like uh, Vanny was just like, Hey, let's go out and work on some things. And we know we're going to win. So let's just it's, try a few things. I want to see good movement around the box. I want to see some passing. I want to see some creativity, keep a clean sheet. Yeah. No one get hurt so we can get the three points and move on. Like it was, it was, it was like watching a training, like a bad training session, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's essentially extra. It's national training, basically. You kind of call it national. Team. It was like, yeah, it was like for John Herdman just to watch. Yeah, exactly. See, if only if if Inbom Wong was still here, he's used to national training. He'd have been great at this. <laughs> but I don't know if this was a game that's played here. We used to play in the school ground, school playground, like attackers and defenders when we were playing football. So you'd have one team that was attackers, one was defenders. That's what it felt like for a big chunk of the the game, especially the first half. And in the second half, it kind of then felt TFC were like, okay, let's get a little bit of defensive training in. We'll give the Whitecaps the ball because we know they're not going to do anything with it. And they managed one shot tonight. They managed one shot, well, on target. One shot on target tonight, one shot on target on Tuesday. Yay, yay, yay. It's hard to see how you turn that around. On the plus side, we got our two strikers back that were missing in Orlando, Toss Ricketts and Lucas Cavallini. On the negative side, we couldn't get the ball with them. Exactly, that's the problem. They, no, it didn't make like it seems like now the bubble. It didn't make a difference who was playing up top because nobody could get the ball to them, and, well, and, and they, they didn't have the counter attacks to um, to take advantage because that's where the, like a lot of goals came from. And all yeah, but their the counter attacks came from uh, Ali Adnan being usually usually making a quality pass, and also from Jordi and Dahomey, um, you know, doing the running, doing doing the the. You know the, the adding the quickness to the counterattack, right? And you know, Reina did not look good uh, the other day, and uh, he didn't look good today not, either. <laughs> didn't look good today either, for sure. Um, but uh, and Dahome came on and ended up moving into like a right wing back position, which was the, the subs. Bizarre. The subs in general were just absolutely bizarre. I don't really I. By the end of the game, if you if you asked me to say what the shape of the team was and who was playing where, I genuinely would have struggled to to say what that was. 
I call it blob, the shape. Mm. That's what some of the heat maps have been looking like for the, the white caps. The, the, there, there was one point in today's game where Dahomey, uh, it, was, it was off the set piece or something, and it came to him on the right-hand side. He's by himself there. He, he wasn't able to cross it in right away, and nobody came to support him, and basically the ball just eventually went over the line for a of, And that was basically symbolic of the whole game, where they just didn't know what to do with the ball until it was too late and TFC overmanned whoever had the ball. Hey, don't start talking about whether balls are going over the line or not, because apparently, according to VAR, it didn't go over the line on Tuesday. And for me, that was the turning point. If that if that had been given and TFC hadn't got that second goal, I think we'd have won that game on Tuesday 2-1. Sure, Michael. But, okay, but the thing about that... take the, the rest about, of my drugs just now. No, but the thing about that, isn't the, isn't the discussion around that whether or not it's like it's like a goal line, right? It's the whole of the ball has to be over the whole of the line, right? So sure, you could see the green between the ball and the line, but the circumference of the ball was still over the line, is what the you know the officials determined, right? Let's not talk about Tuesday anymore. Let, let's roll back though. I want us to look at the starting lineup now. Obviously, Jordi Reyna did not play. He wasn't going to start anyway, but he was meant to be on the bench, and then. Never mind getting pulled off at half time. He was pulled off before the the start of the game, which is going to tire a lad out. So I mean, it's probably good to to have him in the stands after that. I I think it's miraculous that players are basically in a bubble of sorts, but you can still be late for something in that bubble, because that's the official that's the official word. He was late, and it's not apparently the first time that he's been late. I asked MDS after the match about it, and he said. It's no big drama. They've got rules and regulations. Jordy breached it. It's a one-off, not featuring him because they had to make a statement to the rest of the locker room that rules and regulations have to get followed. But this is not the first time that Reyna has breached rules and regulations. We'll just stick to the Canadian aspect of okay. that. Okay, I, I was wondering where you are going with Thank you. Yeah, so let's just stick to the Canadian aspect. But he's done things before. His, his coat is on a sugarly peg, as we would say in Scotland. I'll take your word for that. I, yeah, sure. Well, well, let's talk a bit more about Reina in, in the next part, actually. Let's just do the game in this one. So the lineup. when you saw it, a lot of folk... I read some of the Twitter comments right after... The, the Caps had tweeted out the lineup and it was all like, this is the worst lineup ever. This is the worst team ever. I had looked at it and I thought, oh yeah, that's not bad considering who we had because I knew that we were going to be going 3-5-2, 5-3-2, however you want to look at it. So the defence was what I was expecting. Up front was what I was expecting. So if you've got that, your midfield options, if you actually want central midfielders in there, you didn't really have any other options but the three guys that started. Now, I'm not saying it's a strong lineup, but this is all that we could have put out. Yeah, they, they set up to defend with eight, like a minimum of eight, maybe nine, right? And so yeah, after you get, you know, outplayed and, and beaten 3-0 in the previous, you know, a few days before, it makes sense to want to make sure that that doesn't happen again on the, like, defensively. But, uh, I mean, I guess in one sense, I, I hear you and I agree with you that, you know, with, the, with, the, with all of the limitations that they have or that they've put on themselves, it's, it's understandable that, you know, this is the kind of starting line that they have for a game like this. Steve, what would you say you could do to tweak that, to make it stronger, to make them competitive? Because 
if you want to go 5-3-2 or 3-5-2, I can't see anyone else that we would slot in. Maybe move Rose to the midfield and play Kamiri in the in the middle of the defence. That's the only option. The only option is basically they need to get healthier. <laughs> they really or or bring in another player or something like that in the midfield, because you know on the on hurt right now you got Bikel who would be nice in the midfield. I'd prefer Rose in the midfield if Godoy was back in the in the through back three. So there are options, but the problem is that most of those these guys aren't ready to play and they're injured. Uh, I think MDS was saying. Uh, Godoy has just had a frustrating year or, or he's been frustrating this year because yeah. of all the injuries and they've got to deal with considering they paid a big chunk of money for him uh, considering yeah. the position he plays but, too they don't normally spend that much on that so, and that makes a huge difference when you come to the where the lineups are because I, I like I was surprised they actually took Kamiri off but uh, but not considering the way he's played like he shouldn't be in the lineup at this point considering all the issues they've had since the restart yeah and 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 but the the for once they actually took him off, and I hope he stays off until he's ready to play or gets everything sorted out because he's not ready for MLS at this point. No, I mean talk, talking of Andy Rose, I thought he was the man of the match on Tuesday, and it's like what is his best position? Is it centre back? Is it centre midfield? That's actually something that I asked MDS on the conference call on Thursday. So for those of you listening on the podcast, I'll, I'll just play you what what he had to say about that just now. It's a great point you you talk, and I, I'm happy you talk about that because um, lately I've had a lot of questions that were not related to soccer, and you 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 bring soccer questions, and it's great. Uh, Andy, as in my opinion, Andy, sh- but this is just my opinion. Please, Andy should have been a center back when he was 19, 18 years old. I think he would have been a very good center back today. I think he's a better center back than he is probably as a midfielder. Uh, this year he's learned the position, even last year, he's learned the position well. Uh, it's, he's an intelligent player. He, he likes the game. He likes to, to learn about the game. Uh, but like you said, it's a player that you could use him in the midfield. What I think is... Uh, Andy maybe doesn't have the full range of mobility to play in a two-man midfield, uh, but in a three-man midfield where he's the one probably being the number six, he's a player that could uh, play a very good positional role uh, there. Um, but when you look also at the number of center backs that we have in the roster and also at the, the type of full backs that we have that are more, in my opinion, wing backs. Well, you could also look at the possibility of us uh, being with a back three, with Andy being one of the players in the back three. Also, it's not automatically Andy always only being with a back uh, in a back four. But I agree with you. Andy could could do both roles well. So MDS feels Andy Rose's best position is centre back. And that from the age of 19, he should maybe have been a centre-back and groomed himself to be in that position. And I think, I do like him as a midfielder, but he's a bit slow. So he could be your DM, the guy that's sitting in front of that back line if you're playing a flat back four. But if you are going five at the back, three at the back, I don't mind him being the guy that's in the middle. Except tonight he wasn't in the middle, he was the centre-back that was on the right. 
and I don't think that's the I don't think that suits him at all. Because uh, I think I think MDS has mentioned before. I think he likes having the center backs that can control the ball, mm-hmm. and obviously Andy Rose being a bigger guy and being able ha- having played midfield, that probably got him suited for what MDS wants in center backs. And maybe that's the reason why Cornelius doesn't get that much time because he doesn't handle the ball as much as the, uh, the other guys do. So yeah. um, I I think I think that maybe center back is the best position, but they're so lacking in midfield right now that I know. I, they need something up there too. To counter that, Michael, the one thing I, I thought that was good about, or one of the things I guess that was positive about the, the center back setup today was I appreciated Ranko in the middle. And I appreciate him there because he is good at playing the ball. Yeah. I mean, we've seen him. We saw him in Orlando take the ball up the pitch. So, I mean, he can certainly do that. So, I mean, he does add that from being in the middle of the park. Then the other two centre-backs can kind of close ranks a little bit. But this this is a team. When you go up against the likes of Toronto, the difference in class is just incredible. And... I, I was listening uh, to TSN radio earlier today. Pete Shad was on it, and it, he he summed it up perfectly because he said TFC basically have three tiers of players. You've got your elite players, you've got your DPs, you've got the likes of Bradley Outador, Pozuelo, these guys that are your real difference makers that cost money. Then you've got your really good serviceable MLS players. So you've got guys that have done it in the league, guys that are doing it, like even Richie Larea, goal scorer tonight, Nick DeLeon, he's another great example. So these are the guys that are doing it over and over. And then you've got the young Canadian homegrown guys that's coming through the ranks that are struggling to really get in the team because the first two tiers are, are so good. They are getting in the team though because Liam, like a guy like Liam Fraser, who... Um... It, because the other, the whole rest of the eleven is good. He's actually succeeding because he's got a good, solid group behind him. Yeah, no, it was yeah, his that... first start since like last year, right? Yeah, and he, I mean, he didn't even make it to the hour mark today. But this was the kind of game that you can give a guy like him a run out because you're like, yeah, this is fine. It's the Whitecaps. That's the the kind of sad thing about this, really. If you look at the Whitecaps. We don't have anyone in that elite. Maybe Ali Adnan, you could say, is an elite player because we know what he's capable of. But without a supporting cast, he doesn't really thrive as an elite player. He's not showing that he's an elite player. Inbom Wong could have been an elite player, and we'll talk about him in, in the next part and his departure. We don't even have what you could look at as that many really good MLS veteran people. You've got Andy Rose, and then that's kind of it. Russell Tiber. Ricketts, then then you've got guys that they're not homegrown. We've got our own little tier of guys that we've brought into the league, but they're not doing great. And again, it's because they maybe don't have the players around them that's helping them to succeed. It's hard to see how you get out of this or or what happens to change this. Basically, yeah, I was thinking about the their midfield, like like you got just like four of the guys that are playing around there. You got uh, Pozuelo, you got Piatti, you got. Osario, you got Bradley. The Whitecaps could just use one of those guys, and, and that would make a massive difference. Even take Jonathan Osario, who's uh, probably the least expensive and and uh, um, least known player, maybe or out of the four, and he would make a huge difference in this Whitecaps lineup. Um, so they, they need somebody to just be able. To, they need a couple guys. I know Wosu, I think, could be that one of those guys, but if they could get somebody better than him. 
to pair up to pair up, and they could just drive the ball up the field through the midfield and and distribute it through there. That's what they're lacking. They need that one premier player in that central midfield. Yeah, and we're not going to get it just now. We're not going to get it this season because you're looking at quarantine. Yeah, but just get the person in. Get them 14 days. They're re- they'll be ready for next year. Who knows when quarantine's going to be over? Just get it done. And everybody's saying that because of COVID, the prices are down. Why not take advantage of that and bring yeah. somebody in? Yeah. Even if it doesn't... How many times... Look, uh, I think one of the best examples is Kendall Waston bringing him in or a half a year earlier yeah. or something like he that. He came in in August, and, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Before they were expecting to come in. They were expecting to come in January. And he made a massive difference, not only right off the bat, but next year because he was already acclimated to the uh, environment. I, well, I agree with you, Steve, that that timing worked out really well. But remember, you have to think about that in context. That didn't happen because they're like, yeah, let's get ready for next year. That no, I know that. Because of Jay Demerit retiring early. No, no, I know that. That was just something that happened there, but it worked. Uh, yeah, in right, yeah. For them. I mean, it, it did work. And it, other teams are bringing players in just now. We'll, we'll discuss what we might want to bring in soon. Just to, to kind of wrap up a couple of things from this game, because there really isn't tons to talk about. Larea's goal, it was a, a great strike. I mean, lucky deflection. Andy Rose did let Larea get away from him. That's the only thing in that. And he just reacted a bit slow and just Larea was, had just basically got away from him. So, I mean, that was the, that was the only goal of the game, Larea's strike. Now, Hassal had a couple of good saves. I thought he had a, a pretty good outing. Tuesday, I thought he was a little bit shaky at times. I, I have some concerns with him, how he comes out for, for collecting the ball. He spilled a couple of balls as well. But tonight, he looked pretty solid. That point-blank save that he had, uh, that was fantastic. And then the sprawling one that he tipped around for the corner as well, that, that was good. Otherwise, we could have been 3-0 down by that point. So I think he's growing into the position. The second half, there's nothing to talk about at all. It was just, as you said, it was like a training game. Position in the first half was 68-32. And I think that's pretty much how it kind of finished as well. I didn't check the final things, but it was round about that figure. You're, you're not going to do anything with that kind of possession. After the match, MDS talked about this was an improved performance. And it was. But what is lacking is glaringly obvious to everyone, Mark included. And we don't have the pieces there to address it just now. And I don't know what this team does for the rest of this year. Do you just concentrate on playing the young lads? Do you still hold out some hope of doing something? Because we're we're on the road technically, so we're playing away games. Are we going to focus on winning our games at home? I don't know. It's It's hard to see a way out of this right now. The, the Whitecaps are probably, uh, it's a tough, they're the toughest thing because you're, you're playing all the games on the road to start off with, which is not good. Um, and then, so you're going to fall behind. And how are you going to catch up at that point? Like once you get, even if you get a string of games at home, by that time you have to almost play perfect and that's mm. impossible to do. So it's just, it's just a matter of getting through the season and getting it over with and then either calling it quits or finding a location in the U.S. When, once they want to open it up into the next year. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to that in a bit. We'll take a little break just now and we'll be back talking more Whitecaps, looking ahead to the game to come and just some of the big talking points that's come out of the Whitecaps in the last week. So we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. 
welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's tonight's song from AFTN's Artist of the Month for August, Scottish band Mogwai, with a track taken from their seventh studio album, 2011's Hardcore Will Never Die, But You Will, and that was Mexican Grand Prix. Let's get back to the Whitecaps chat now. Let, let's kick this part off then with some comments from the stream. Andrew Chaboniak, a.k.a. Morbs, says, I farted earlier. It smelled better than that Whitecaps performance. <laughs> Your way to take the tone down, as if I hadn't done that already. That's what I want to do at the beginning here, so you can edit it out if you want to. <laughs> and then uh, John Ward says, is it time for the owners to sell this fr- franchise and get the Whitecaps into the CPL? Get back to actually enjoying the game. I don't know how well this team would do in the CPL. I mean, Cavalry beat us last year. And then the Walker said, maybe need better service to Cava. But he was just shrugging his shoulders and looked totally uninterested. On top of that, he was worse at holding the ball up when it Mm. came out of defense than Hurtado was back in the day. But he did do that fantastic tackle on Asario four minutes into Tuesday's game. That, that was the highlight, Whitecaps' highlight of these two games was that tackle. Yep. I actually asked him about that uh, on, on Thursday's conference call, which, for those on the podcast, I'll, I'll play the audio of, of that just now so you can hear it. On Tuesday's game, it felt you were kind of like on an island out there. It was hard for you to get the ball and to, to really get anything going. How does that suit your style of game? Because we've seen you play before, but you, you're not used to having to drop back so much to get the ball and try and make things happen yourself. I mean, you know, uh, Toronto has a good team. They, they have a lot of attackers and they they play well. And obviously... Uh, we spent most of the, the game defending. Uh, but yeah, you know, that, that sort of stretches out the field for me with my team and the midfielders because, you know, uh, they just attacked us really well and we were just, just unorganized and, you know, it was just a big mess. And we have to be better. I mean, uh, obviously, the midfielders know that they need to, su- to support me. But again, like, uh, we just have to focus on, on getting that, that, that shape again. And as it was before, and, you know, it's been a while since I've been back and I'm not going to make no excuses, but uh, but just get that team chemistry going again. We have to be, we have to be really on point for tomorrow. I was actually going to ask about that. How tough was it? I know you don't want to make excuses, but how tough was it from going to not playing for five months to suddenly being in a competitive game against players that have been playing down in, in a tournament in Orlando? Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't take that as intimidation. I mean, I was anxious to play. I was excited. I was happy. Uh, you know, football is life for me. So, uh, you know, it, it took me a while to, to adjust a little bit uh, first part of the game, but kind of got rhythm again towards entering the second half and and I felt better but you know now we just have to be better for Friday no matter what um you really clattered Jonathan four minutes in it's like you said you were going to do that 
you had a huge smile on your face afterwards. But I mean, were, were you concerned at that point when the referee spoke to you? Because you then got a booking quite soon after that. Are, are you worried that your aggressive style of play might not sit well in MLS? I mean, my I guess you could say my timing was off. Uh, I was trying to adjust myself a little bit, you know. Uh, as I said, uh, it was hard. It took it took a while for me to to finally adjust. Uh, but I got better and, you know, yeah, um, I did, uh, stuff that I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done, but, you know, it's just anxiety of playing and stuff like that, you know, uh, my aggressiveness, uh, got out of hand, I guess, but I'll be better for next game. And, you know, I got to just watch the yellow cards, no doubt. Did Jonathan say anything to you after the tackle? Cause he didn't look very pleased in the TV. <laughs> Jonathan wanted the ref to give me a red card. But he already he already was scared. He already was scared that I was on the pitch against him, so he wanted me out as soon as possible. <laughs> Thanks, Kava. But f- fun stuff from Kava, especially predicting and kicking the guy before the game, and then ending up kicking him. Doesn't look good. Disco will not like that. No, but that was sadly the highlight from the two matches for me, and that kind of says it all, really. It, it was hard to watch the game, just listen, listening to the game, especially. Anyway, moving on to Montreal, just like the Whitecaps are going to be doing. They fly out early on Saturday morning, heading to Montreal. Interestingly, Montreal are letting 250 fans attend this one, and charging between 225 and 250 dollars for the privilege of watching Montreal take on Vancouver. Is that not a bargain? How much? 225 to 250. They have to recoup their money. Two dollars and 25 cents? No, 200. 200. Who's gonna pay 225 dollars? It's the White Caps. It's Mark DeSantis coming home to Montreal. Oh man. Saputo delivers the food personally for that price. Remember back in the USL days when Saputo used to paper the stadium by you know giving out all, all the tickets so that stadium was full? Yeah. Not now. You can charge a select few numpties that amount of money. It's pissed off the ultras quite considerably because obviously they're rightly pissed off that they're one of the loyal supporters, but you'd be paying so much money for that. TFC, though, managed to get some of their ultras to attend the game on Tuesday. Well, not officially behind, Not the stadium. No. I, I, I personally want the Whitecaps. I want the Whitecaps to uh, sell one ticket per section. Just one ticket, like a single person per section for the game. For It would be awesome on TV, don't you think? Like having one person there waving a flag. This oh, is the only game I'd like oh, to see an actual wave at. <laughs> hopefully the person doesn't block the person behind the pre- behind section with the flag. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, yeah, that Zach would be and are still getting complaints. Imagine that one guy is in the behind section behind somebody waving a flag when there's only one person per section and he's complaining. I know the perfect guy to put behind the flag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could sell restricted view tickets. <laughs> <laughs> the, there will be no fans at, at BC Place. I, I asked MDS what he thought about fans coming in as well. So again, for, for those listening on the podcast, I'll... I'll play that audio just now.
on the game at Tuesday, I mean, I was surprised when we saw that the fans were behind the goal. Did that kind of put you off? I know they were outside the stadium, but did that put you off a little bit when you heard that and you saw all the smoke? And then Montreal today announced that Tuesday's game, they're going to be allowing 250 fans to attend. Just curious what your, your thoughts on that are. I, Michael, I don't, I've never been in, the, in any position of coaching. I always promised myself of no excuses. I'm, I'm built like that. You can't have excuses. You have to find solutions. Good for Toronto if they have that. And good for Montreal if they could have fans. We have to do our best and have to prepare the team to the best of our ability to be ready to play the game. Uh, Would I want us to have support and people pushing for us and making it tough on the opponent? Yes. Does it play in the subconscious of the Toronto players that, man, we're playing in a close field? and there's still guys singing outside, and we hear them, yes, yes, uh, for sure. But you know what? I see this year as a very challenging year. So me I'm, me, I'm challenged by the soccer side. I'm challenged by what's happening with our team, how much work we have to do, the, sh- the struggles with uh, the COVID, and how it it stopped kind of the momentum of the work we were having and going towards. I want to focus on that, you know, for me to focus on that others have fans and that. Unfortunately, you know what, this has been such an incredible year that these little things like that don't, don't fade me at all, at all. But I believe they are a source of motivation because you heard them well for the Toronto players, uh, for sure, that they are an extra source of motivation. And probably there's going to be a certain source of motivation for for the, the impact players, especially when your last connection with the fans were almost six months ago. I mean, MDS basically said fair play to TFC and their supporters turning up on Tuesday, finding a way to attend, make some noise, let off the smoke, bring the atmosphere... And he said, if Montreal can do it safely, he's all for it. Would he love supporters at BC Place? Yes, he would, because he feels it gives the team a lift. It's not happening, though. We're, we're not letting letting people in. I, I put this out on Twitter as to how comfortable people would, would be if, if they were letting fans in. Before I get to some of those tweets, what about you guys? If you were able to attend, and like Steve and me could attend as media, there's a few media allowed to attend. I've already declined that that option. But like Zach, would if you got the chance, say there was a a Willy Wonka style golden ticket, you're obviously Augustus Gloop. Would you take that golden ticket and attend? Yeah, I, I'd attend the game in, in Lisbon this weekend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's. It, I don't I don't find any of the MLS games that interesting. Like the even the New York game that they had, I think it was yesterday or yeah, the before. Yeah, that was pretty. It was, it was. It seems like it seems like MLS teams really need uh, people in the stands in order to do it, which amazes me how FC Dallas was so uh, successful for so many years before. Yeah. Michael, before you go to the thing, Norberto asks with saying, "Do you guys know how much the Caps franchise are really worth, and any real chance someone local could buy the Caps from Kerfoot and Co? Just think, the Caps need an MLSE ownership to change the culture." 
I, I mean, I think you're looking at at least 180 to 200 million. But, I mean, you're looking at the teams, what they're coming in for just now. 300? I mean, if they've, if it's a if it's a city or an ownership group that's got no chance of getting a team through expansion, I guess you, you can charge them whatever they are willing to pay, which could be over 300. I think, well, I think that's, there's two scenarios. One, and there's the one that Alberto S is talking about is someone who would buy them and keep them here and, and, yeah. and, and invest in them the way MLSC has in TFC, as an example. The other, the other option, which is more, we all think is more likely to happen, is someone in an American city buying it so that they can relocate it to an American city. Yeah. yeah, once all the expansion slots have been taken yeah. up and everything. Well, I, I would only say, I would, off the, off the top of my head, uh, other ownership groups in the city or owners that live in the city, there's two, obviously, Aquilini, the the Canucks, uh, the Orca Bay group or whatever. And the other one is, uh, I think I'm pronouncing this wrong, uh, Tom Gagliardi. Um, he's the Dallas Stars owner, but he's local in Vancouver. And he maybe he, I've heard of rumors that he might be interested, but there are rumors only because Aquilini showed support, and so everybody put them in there too. Because back when the Canucks were sale, those two were trying to get the Canucks at the same time. Here's the thing: I can't remember how much we talked about this in the past. Uh, I know Jeff Mallet is fond of of talking about how he wants to hand this down to his children and blah 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 blah. But that's all an affront to the fact that they have tried to sell. Uh, they just haven't found someone who values it as much as they think they should. Yeah. Or they haven't found either. anyone actually willing to, to buy, period. So um, don't, when, you hear, when you hear someone saying, oh, no, 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 we're going to give this to our kids, remember that there's a, the side of that, uh, that that is trying to protect the asset and the value of it, right? Because you don't want yeah. even though Even though we've said in the past that MLS really doesn't care about Canada, I don't think also they probably put it, if they're going to sell it, it has to stay in Vancouver for a while because they don't want to look bad selling it right away and moving it immediately. So they're, yeah, it's going to be similar to what the Grizzlies where they sold it to that guy and he kept it here for a couple of years, then moved it to Memphis. Yeah. And then they still bring oh. the jerseys out every now and again. Yeah. Well, Michael also, yeah. Oh man. Also John, John O'Flynn wants you to know that he's wa- watching us instead of watching the ice hockey. Oh, thank you, John. Always a, a big supporter of the show. I appreciate that. I th- Vancouver is a market that has a lot of potential if you invest properly in it the support is there to to come out and support this team if you're looking at cities that might miss out on expansion they would maybe be interested in a team if phoenix don't get in phoenix's ownership group is very strong you've got drogba as part of that and i'm pretty sure if they didn't didn't get in this expansion round they'll be chomping at the bit to somehow get a team you got also got Landy Cakes in San Diego. Mm. I personally like San Diego, so I don't mind that. But I wouldn't. I'd still fancy another team in Oregon down the coast, Newport County. That would be my my preferred choice. <laughs> anyway, let's get to the tweets about attending games. The majority of the replies were no, they wouldn't respond. So I won't read them all, but it's things like Dental Dalmatian said. I think it's insanely irresponsible, but Crash Carrivo says, for Montreal's point of view, 250 fans in a 20,000-seat outdoor stadium seems pretty reasonable. That being said, I can see the stadium from my apartment as in BC Place, and I'll still be watching the game on TV. Ben Cooper Whitecat said it's still an unnecessary risk, but with that low of a number being admitted, he'd be tempted to, to go to game at BC Place. 
C. Galitsky said, what is the gain in letting fans in compared to the possible consequence? And I think that is a big talking point. It's like, how much do you gain from letting that amount, a small amount of fans in to what could go wrong? Kevin Gilmore, the general manager, CEO of Montreal, said, look, we want to get fans back in at the games. We have to start somewhere. This is us starting somewhere to see if this can work and we can expand it. But risk v reward? Yeah, the only thing is, is they have to make sure that they control the people. Like 250 is fine in a big stadium, but are they going to funnel people out at different times? Are they going to mm. let in people at different times? You can't let in like 30, 250 people all at once and you can't make sure 250 people don't go all back all at once too and washrooms and everything like that. So you got to be careful about uh, when people get herded around. Well, also, the impact said that there will be exceptional sanitary measures in place at the stadium, which must be a huge shock to people from Montreal. But, I mean, they'll they'll get used to it, I'm sure. They tried it in Cowdenbeath, didn't go down very well there. <laughs> Rod Hodkinson. I, I was going to go further with that, but I thought, no, it's different times. Different times. Good call. Yeah. We're not in Swan Guard anymore, Dorothy. Rod Hodkinson said, it's irresponsible, regardless of the measures. You're putting your trust in people to do the right thing. He wouldn't go, 250? Why bother? The risk is too great. From Clive, you might know him, Red Hot Coach, certain ex-Whitecaps father. He says, good on Montreal. Moving forward, taking precautions and not living in baseless fear and paranoia like most are. Taylor D. what I know of Clive. Yeah. Taylor D. Brendenhoff said, open things up. You could easily socially distance a thousand people in BC Place. That's about 2% of the seating capacity. So that plays into Steve's plan of just having one person in, in each section. I would love to see a wave in that. That would be superb. Or a white caps chant. Some guy Two going, people. Some guy going, white. And the guy goes, <laughs> sorry, what was that? <laughs> I said, white. <laughs> shite. Yeah, it's shite. <laughs> Caps, yeah, it's definitely crap. Oh, the the fun you could have with this. Last thing I'll read. There was tons of supl- uh, sort of replies. So sorry that I haven't got to all this. Oh, actually, two I'll read. Chris Doyle, he raised a very good point that I had hoped someone was going to raise on the Montreal call. I couldn't be on the call because I was doing my East Five podcast. How many support staff is going to be needed for two hundred and fifty people? Because then you're bringing more people in to the bubble and then it's like how many people security cleaning staff concessions people they are going to provide packed lunches which i i was just picturing like mill house for some reason and in the simpsons just getting a packed lunch but i mean there is that but yeah the more people you let in the more expense the club has because they've got more cleaning they've got more staff to try and look after all this as well so I understand you have to start somewhere. This just seems, I don't know, it just seems kind of pointless. So your $250 comes with a packed lunch? Yes. Lunchables. <laughs> VWFC All Caps actually said, for that price, does it include a Thierry on meet and greet? That's what I figured. Yeah. I figured there'd be some kind of social distance conversation with TT. Yeah, he could just stand in the center of the pitch and just with a big microphone. Oh, talking of that... I missed this on Tuesday because I was only watching stuff about, about half an eye because it was so shit. 
I didn't even bother doing the match report after the game and putting it up. <laughs> but I, I noticed it tonight because, again, I wasn't really looking and Caitlin's like, have you seen how far away Mark is from Christian Jack when they were doing yeah, the interviews? Yeah. I don't know if that was like the protocol or if Mark just didn't really want to speak to Christian after his pre-game chat with him on Tuesday or not. Stop it. Come on. Morbidal, Morbidal says the Whitecaps couldn't even draw one fan per section. How many sections is there? 250 or 260, 70? 254, if, if it's true on the bottom, yeah. Anyway, let's, let's move on from that. I think we've kind of covered that fully. Now, Tuesday's game against Montreal will be the first opportunity for the Whitecaps to go up against new Impact head coach Thierry Henry. Henry had a conference call on Monday morning, so I'm going to bring you part of the English part of it just now, just as he looks ahead to the game in Vancouver and just getting back into action on the pitch. Last uh, week, we were talking with Kevin Gilmore about uh, why he was deciding to open up the stadium. And it sounds like there is a significant cost to the team doing this. But when I asked him just about uh, if there was, you know, why do it? He said, well, 250 fans is more of a home field advantage than zero fans. I'd just like to get your opinion on what can 250 fans actually do for your guys? Is, is this going to be an advantage for your team? It's going to make it less empty. Uh, and obviously, like I said, you know, it, it's one person more than being empty or 250 that are going to try and push you. Obviously, better than not having everyone there. But, you know, in, uh, in Orlando, uh, uh, the Timbers didn't have anyone there and they still managed to win the tournament. Uh, so it doesn't, it doesn't really, in a, in a bigger scale, change a lot but does it make it better of course it does make it better because the guys are going to support us and push us until until the end although they're going to be 250 but that doesn't mean if there is nobody in the stadium that you shouldn't perform that's what i meant by what i said before and so um for me as a player it will not it will not you know it's better to have fans don't get me wrong but if there is no fans then you still have to perform as you saw in the uh, Final of the Champions League, semi final of the Champions League. Obviously, the directors were in the box, the players, people that traveled, but no fans. So, you still have to perform because you have a job to do. Does it make it better? Yeah, we like to think so because the guy should encourage us. We know the circumstances that, that your team was facing um, after the layoff heading into Orlando. You've now had a similar layoff with just practices and no games. Vancouver, of course, has played twice already. Uh, what can you as the manager do to, to ensure that, that uh, the intensity, the, the outcome is just different this time? Well, what's difficult is, as you know, nothing beats a game. A game will prepare you the best, but you need to also be prepared to play a game. That's why I feel for Vancouver and Toronto that I had to play, especially for Vancouver, because they had to travel all the way there across. Uh, it, it, I'm sure it wasn't, it wasn't that easy as we saw, but anyway, anyhow, we need to find a way. The game always will give you the best answer that you need to know about your team. Uh, having said that, having said that, sorry, we had a couple of, I mean, more than more, a couple of days to, to prepare the game against Vancouver that allowed us to have some hard training session to, to make sure that our guys are going to be fit, uh, fitter tomorrow. Uh, but I, I cannot talk about, obviously, um, not talk about, sorry, about Vancouver because it's, it's, it must have been difficult for them, also for Toronto, but Vancouver was traveling on top of everything. So I felt, I felt kind of sorry that they had to deal with that, but 
we have to deal with what we have to deal with. I'm sure they're going to make the game very difficult for us. And so we have to find ways to make sure that we can open them up. The, these round of games, there's a little bit of added spice to it because it's not just MLS points that's on the line. Whoever gets the most, you're obviously going to be playing off in the Canadian Championship final. Just maybe talk a little bit of what motivation that is to yourself and the club and the chance to get into next year's Champion League. Well, it is, it is what it is. You know, we didn't know it was going to be that way. Once again, we have to adapt. Obviously, as you saw Toronto are uh, ahead now, we need to try to catch them back. Uh, not forgetting about Vancouver, don't get me wrong, but it is it is the way that you can you can go obviously into the uh, the Champions League on our side. So we're gonna have to to deal with that. But uh, yeah, as you said, at the end of the day, yes, three points, but three points also for what you just mentioned. But there are three points. Either way, we want them. Even even if it's for the uh, to go to the final uh, or to to obviously. Uh, uh, get the three points because because we need those three points and not uh, stay in that uh, little melee that you have in the, in the, in the table right now. You can see that uh, Columbus and Toronto are, are, are flying away and, and then there is a pack behind and uh, so we need to make sure that we we can stay with them uh, first and foremost. And, but yeah, it is a double bill because because he has a double impact. Montreal impacts Thierry Henry there talking about the Whitecaps game on Tuesday and a few other things about getting back to play. Certainly sounds like he has been watching the first two Whitecaps games against TFC quite closely, knowing that he's going to have to try and break down the Whitecaps. I don't see the Whitecaps really coming out all guns blazing for this one. I think it's going to be another one of just trying to hold Montreal at bay and seeing what they can pick up in the counter. But I think it's going to be another tough outing for the, the Whitecaps on Tuesday. Let's just see how all this plays out. We'll be back with more Whitecaps chat and answering some of your questions from the YouTube chat. And we're going to return with all of that after this. Hi, this is Andy Rose and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. I read about a fan at South Beach 23. I thought it meant me. I thought it meant me. Riding around on a 68 bus. I thought it was us. I thought it was us. I phoned Steve Lamack and said, Who do you mean? He said, Carter, the unstoppable sex machine. I asked John Beeston, Where is the scene? He said, Carter, the unstoppable sex machine. Carter, the unstoppable sex machine. Well, I must check these guys out. And here we are again in 1992 Is there anything new to see here or do? To guys and a beatbox on top of the pops It's happened for them, it never happened for us And if we came up with such torturous rhymes We'd be Carter, the unstoppable sex machine If we wrote such songs we'd have to come clean And join Carter, the unstoppable sex machine Carter, the unstoppable sex machine Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part is the first of tonight's Three of a Kind songs from a band we featured several times in Wavelength. That was I Ludicrous with a song called They're Unstoppable. 
taken from their 1992 album Idiot Savants, can also find it on their Greatest Hits album, 20 Years in Show Business. And like I mentioned, that was the first song of tonight's Three of a Kind, for any new listeners or just those of you that need a refresher. At the starts of parts three, four and five, we're going to play three songs that are connected in some way. Three of a Kind. Your task over the next couple of parts is to try and work out what that link might be. And if you're clever enough to get it after the first two links, have a guess or your own suggestion as to what song could kick off part five. We've started things off this week with I Ludicrous. We'll be back with another one to kick off part four. Let's get into some other Whitecaps chat that I've kind of jotted some notes down here to talk about. So let's talk first of all about a player that has moved on. I covered it when I did the solo show last week. Haven't had your guys' thoughts on it. In Bom Wong, he's gone off to, to Russia. He's doing interviews in English now, which was kind of more than he was doing when he was here. General thoughts on Inbom's time here. I tweeted that I thought he was a bit of a flop. I wasn't as harsh in last week's show. I don't think he was a success here. I don't doubt that he's a good player at all. I think he is a good player. He's shown that internationally. You don't do what he's done and be sought after by clubs in Europe if you're not a good player. I just don't think he was a fit for the Whitecaps. I don't think he was a fit for MLS. And I don't think he was the kind of DP that we needed, and he didn't have the players around him that could bring the best out of him. I think their last point is the best one. I think that he, did, he didn't have the right player around him. I just think you just need one other player around him to be the, to be more effective. And I think he was miscast. That was the biggest thing. He was not in, whether it's miscast for uh, MLS or miscast for the way what MDS wants to play. I'm not sure which one it is. I thought M. Looking back on it, and I'm just speculating, I haven't heard anything, I'm just thinking this might be the case. Maybe they just saw an opportunity to resell at a higher value, which they did, which kudos to them, they did that. But maybe they didn't see him, maybe they didn't see him as a fit, and they just saw him as an opportunity where they could bring him in, play him for a year, and then get him off, and then recoup the money back and maybe make a profit off him. I, I um, it, It's a very different case, but in one way it reminds me a little bit of um, Julian de Guzman going to TFC, where you're bringing in this holding midfielder on this huge, huge salary for TFC, yeah. it was over two million, which brought with the DP tag, with brought, which it, with it huge expectations that they would see like some of the best of what they saw from him playing, you know, in the Canadian men's national team and a little bit of Deportivo La Coruña um, in Hanover before that, um, and it, I mean. He wasn't. He's not that kind of player, really. Especially with the people, like you said, with Inbom that he had around him, and so I feel I feel bad for him in that sense. I feel like the expectations um, that come with a DP t- tag and stuff were maybe not uh, always fair to him. But um, I, I mean, I don't think I, I see. I don't think they brought him in just to make money off of him. I yeah. think they did. That was one of their goals. But I didn't think they're like, oh, let's just bring him in and even though he's maybe not what we need or whatever. I think, I think MDS really thought he could contribute, but they weren't able to either, to either get the other pieces or to get things to work right with yeah. limited resources they had to get the best out of him. It's, just a, thought that, that, it's just a thought that popped in my head that maybe where yeah, they weren't yeah. even looking, because just based on how we performed in the system. No, but these people don't spend $1.8 million, uh, on a on a player that they, they don't think that yeah. they're you – know, 
Yeah. So they, they, um, but they are extremely happy. Like internally, they are like extremely happy that they're making money off of this. The sad thing is, the sad, uh, Michael would say cock-a-hoop. That's right. Um, this, the, the, the sad thing, or perhaps the pathetic thing is that they are not going to be investing that money into the next player or to other players mm. to both replace him and maybe more importantly to make the team better, the squad better, and to get better results. That's the hard thing. Now, I know yeah. there's a uh, there's the, pandemic the, and all the, that kind of yeah. stuff that you, that you could list as excuses, but it's totally unacceptable. And people should be – people who care about this football club should be extremely frustrated uh, about how, how, this is, how this is playing out uh, and how, what they're doing with this. Um, and they should demand – that they be told what is the plan, what is going to be done with the profits from this. Because you remember, this only happened because of the Alfonso Davies sale. So now if they're just going to, you know, spend some of it on this player, make money off that, and then not invest that, that's not really living out what they said about the Alfonso Davies money. Yeah. If, if, the one thing is, is, imagine he actually played well. Imagine what they could have got for him. Oh, if, yeah. If they're, if they're happy right now, what they got for him, they, imagine what they could have got. And then the other thing is, is if they're not going to invest in a player, invest it in a mutual fund um, over like a short term and try to get, um, when you pull it out, you can maybe have more money to invest in a better player when they're ready well, to do that. The, the, Steve, the owners are doing that. It's just not, on, it's not, not on the, for the club's benefit. The, the AFTN mutual fund, if anyone from the club wants to get in touch, we can strike a deal. It will be invested in McVitie's chocolate digestives. Not the company, just me buying quite a lot of chocolate digestives, really. But I think we can pretty much be certain that the Whitecaps are not going to spend more than they've made in this. They're not going to be in a worse position financially. They should They should spend more. They should use this money, add more money to it, and bring in a top talent. But they're not going to want to do that. They're not going to want to say, oh, we had a player, and then we've made a profit on that. But now we're actually worse off because we've spent more than we made from him. But to improve this team, they're going to need to spend money or somehow find this magical diamond in the rough that we've been trying to find every single year and we just haven't found it because it's the same old, same old. Again, we're in a rebuilding process, it feels. It's like it's rebuild after rebuild after rebuild. It's kind of feeling that the Whitecaps are the, the Winchester mystery house of Major League Soccer. It's just constant building, but it never gets anywhere. They just need to get those that foundation right initially. They haven't done that, I don't think, yet. And they, they need stronger pillars. If they get stronger pillars, then they can you, you can have that foundation solid. Yeah, but the, the pillars need to be the, the owners and those giving vision to everything. But, yeah, I know you're, I know you're making fun of the, their pillars. But... Um, I, some people, uh, I was reading some people's comments today or whatever, but they're basically saying, can you even call this a rebuild if you haven't actually built something first? That is very true. It's like you're building a house on quicksand. So you're just starting to get up and then it's just going back down. Then you're going up and it's going back down. A sinkhole would be, yeah. Like It's amazing how, like they, I think the closest they got was... Uh, I think 2016 or 2015 or something like that. I think that was the closest they got to actually looking like they were going to do something. And then it yeah. just, it slowly crapped out at that point. 
I, I still say we could have won the MLS Cup in 2015, but that squad we had, if we'd approached the Portland game differently, we could have had an MLS Cup. And then this whole club would be so different right now because you'd be wanting to attract players to it. I don't know what player, like, especially within MLS, because for me, if it's going to be eight to ten weeks before a player from overseas comes in, you maybe want to get a guy that's already in North America. Yeah, they'd have to quarantine for the two weeks, but if you can get them in now, they're going to be ready pretty soonish. We've got trade bait. Let's, let's look at Freddie Montero. He has not gone on this trip out east, and he it was technical decision. That was what's been said. It was Mark said he just wanted to focus on the younger players, and he didn't feel that with what he was needing from the team, Freddie would give that. Now, like him or loathe him from what he did with Seattle before or whatever, He's a guy that knows this league. He's a guy that scores goals. And he showed it at the end of last season when he was coming on as a sub. I do feel he can offer a lot to this team. But if you're not bringing him out on a trip like this, when this Canadian Championship points on the line, never mind MLS points, because Mark really wants to, to be in the Champions League and win a trophy with the Whitecaps in the, in the Voyagers Cup. So if you're going all out for that, you bring your best players and Freddie is one of those guys. So if you're not bringing him and it's for a technical decision and it's not for a trade, which I don't believe for a minute because I think there is some trade stuff in the works. I mean, what, what does that say about his future? He's got no future here, basically. Uh, this is, uh, he's no longer the guy with the two-year contract. It's basically over by, at the end of this year. So... Uh, I think he's done. He's basically done. I don't know where he would go. Maybe he's just going to retire. I don't see him going. No. I think somebody mentioned he might go to Colombia. I don't see him going no, I don't abroad see that anywhere. Either. And he's definitely not going to Portugal, even though the passports were, you know, they got the passports. His stock is really high, I, I still think, in parts of MLS. And you've got expansion teams coming in that would, like Austin next year, Add a veteran like Freddie Montero to them now or, or or something. But then he he might want to only go to Seattle. I know you might not have a lot of say in MLS depending on what his contract says. But then I, I was looking at Seattle and I thought, I, I know this is like going back three, four years and I've kind of done this one to death in my pre-Johnny Russell loving days. Will Bruin. You could swap Freddie for Will Bruin. It's kind of a like for like. But I think you'd get more out of Will Bruin than what we're getting from Freddie. I would honestly just, to, I, I would, I would unload him just to get his salary off the books, and and hopefully, and although I'm sure as soon as I say this, Zach's gonna start shaking his head. The Whitecaps will spend that salary spot somewhere else, on, on somebody else, and bring him in from abroad or anywhere. At this point, so I, I don't need a player back. I just, I would like to see him off the roster. I uh, I still remember when Carl Robinson told me that that the Colombian was coming. Uh, was in the the, the locker room, the locker room in in Portland at the the preseason tournament. He took me aside and said, "I, I got to tell you something." And uh, I was extremely disappointed for you know the reasons we've talked about in the past. Um, and as much as I didn't like that, I think he made a contribution in his first spell in Vancouver. That even though I don't like it, he, he did he did do some things. I think his second spell in Vancouver has been a huge mistake, like a, a very, very, very significant and costly mistake, both 
on the field, off the field, financially. Um, I, I don't think it was uh, the right the right thing to do at all. And uh, yeah, I think the sooner he goes, the better for him. I think the better for the, the Whitecaps. And yeah, the questions will all be around what do they do with that that spot and, and how do they allocate those funds? And they're obviously, it's hard to trust them to do, to do the right thing with those things right now, but um, they, they need to do something. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Whitecaps squad and you look at players that they're, they're our elite, let's put it that way. They're maybe not elite to some of the other clubs, but to us, these are our elite guys. So you're looking at Freddie Montero, MLS veteran, not playing just now. Inbom Wong didn't do that well here. He's now left. Ali Adnan, great at times. Tonight, didn't really notice him too much on, on the pitch. He was seemed very pissed off on Tuesday. He was shouting a lot at, at various teammates. His best friend was in Bom Wong. There was lots of rumours in the off-season that he wanted to go back to Europe. It looked from photographs that Ali's agent was also over in Russia with Inbom as well. So, does Inbom say, oh, there's a really good left-back at, at the Whitecaps. He's an international. Is Ali the next one out? So you could be losing him as well. Then your rebuild is starting to look massive. And then you factor in Jordi Reyna, whose future at the club has to really be in doubt now. We have thought that in the past with other things, but we've known Mark DeSantis for a while. Before MLS, going back to Montreal days, we've talked to people that know MDS. He does not suffer fools. And I can't see any scenario in which Reyna is here next year. I think he's spiked his chances for the uh, coming back next year. Um, he might not even make it to the end of the season. They're absolutely nil at this point, so I don't see it happening. Uh, yeah, you're right. It might not even continue on. They might just uh, mutually buy him out or let him go no, or terminate he, the contract he's got, or something like that. He's got so much trade value because of oh, what does he, he can okay. do. Like, well, with, okay. with, what, with what he can do, yeah. because we've seen it. The problem is he's not consistent enough. And is that on the player... Or is that on the team and those around him that's not helping him be consistent enough? Or the combination of those two things. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of it is always going to be on the player. So I put out, a, after all this news broke before the game, I, I put out a tweet saying, let's play some pre-game football manager. If the Caps were to package Reyna and Montero together, trying to get a trade deal, one, do you think there would be interest? Two, who would it be from? And three, what would we get back in return? So you guys think about that. I'll read you some of the answers that we had. Angus Walker said, yep, there would be interest, but it would be from Burton Albion for a bag of chips. Spice Boy won. Reyna and the Colombian for Boxall and Musa. So I'm not sure Minnesota would want to give them out. And considering I didn't really... I mean, Boxall, I think, is a better player than what he was at the Whitecaps. If you said to me, oh, we're going to bring Boxall back in a in a trade to get rid of Montero and Reyna, I'd be like, sorry, what now? But maybe. Um, I would say that a couple of teams that probably would be interested, maybe like a, a Cincinnati, because they'd like, they like their former Whitecaps, or, or like a Nashville, who probably looking for scoring and everything mm -hmm. like that within MLS. So I think those are probably the more like team teams. Like Inter-Miami is another team, but I, I don't think they're, Looking within MLS, I think they're looking to look abroad for people. You also have to think as well, though, Zach, like 
Reina's, let's just call them issues. They're going to be well known amongst other managers. So you, you're going to, if you look around the league, say a guy like Adrian Heath, he's not going to put up with Reina's shit. So that rules them out altogether at Minnesota. You've got like Caleb Porter. It's like he might think, oh yeah, Reina's a good player. I'm not putting up with that shit. Or does it need a strong manager to, to make him not do these stupid things that he seems to do? Yeah, it's interesting to see, you know, who, I think some people kind of used to see Carl Robinson as a bit of the um, sort of Sam Allardyce. Sam Allardyce was famous for a while there in the Premier League of bringing all these players who've had difficult experiences into Bolton and and getting the, the best out of them or getting them really good out of them before they, you know, moved on somewhere else and kind of restarted their careers or whatever. Um, I don't know really who does that in MLS now, but I don't know. With Reina, I was thinking maybe someone like – I don't think the Colombians would fit there, but uh, would there be – and I know they have other attacking weapons and options, but could someone like Bruce Arena uh, – again, he doesn't suffer fools lightly either. Yeah. But, but is he someone who could um, do – you know, turn the switch for Jordy, if you will, uh, to get him to become more of a consistent player because of his coaching style, his man management, his experience in the game – uh, his experience in MLS, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Reina's got skill. I mean, you, you don't make it into the Peruvian national team if you're if you're not a skillful player because there's a lot of competition. It's just he maybe needs to be in the right environment. This is not the right environment. It just always feels that there's just something going on with him that's distracting him from being the player that he could be. Yeah, he he seems off all the time. Like he has moments. Uh, like in Orlando, I thought he played pretty well, uh, considering. Uh, but he always has these uh, periods where he disappears. Um, who's the player that used to do that a lot too? Christian Teixeira. Christian Teixeira mm. used to do that quite a bit, where he would he would show a lot, and then all of a sudden, for a period, he would be a non-factor completely. Well, something that's similar about them both, which actually Noberto S talks about this in the comments. Is both those players? I think are really, even though they're both quick and good, good in the counter, they're they're both players that I think value possession game. Mm. So when you think around MLS, who has a good possession game with someone like anybody think, who plays the Whitecaps? Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, with someone like uh, with someone like LAFC, who like who are good in possession but also really quick in the and, and can be direct in the in their. In their attack, with somewhere like that, be a fit. And, and, and Andy Rose can like uh, talk up Reina too, uh, Bob Bradley too. There you go. Yeah. Well, that ties in with Joe Deasy, who said on Football Manager, if you offer all your draft picks, LAFC will usually give you Vela. So let's offer draft picks, Reina and Montero, and maybe we can get Vela and Rossi. Done deal. <laughs> but you've got other people as well saying that they'd be happy just to get shot of them just for like draft picks and just gam and tam and i mean glass city made a good point which was just get all the gam just now from a club like austin who's coming in they're like rolling in it give get that get your gam don't necessarily spend it this year maybe use a little bit of stuff to bring in some cpl players after the cpl tournament because they're already in canada so there's no quarantine does no harm because this, this season's a bust I might be wrong. I'll eat my words if that is the case. Maybe Mark will turn things around and we're going to have an amazing run-in 
when we play out of Portland, if they can avoid all the riots and all the kind of smoke that's going about and kind of concentrate on the games. That is a whole topic for another day because that's a bizarre choice of place to go. I know why they're going, but with everything that's going on there, why do you think your players are going to want to go and play out of Portland? Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. They should, they should, they should go to like a place like Montana where there's like op- open spaces and everything. They could create a stadium there probably in a couple of weeks. In, in all seriousness, Bellingham, because you've got the stadium there, because I went down and watched Bellingham United play some games there. Fans aren't coming in anyway. There's an airport there for the charter flights to land at. To me, that just makes total sense. TV would be the big factor there, whether they can uh, perform a TV broadcast. That would be the only factor, I think. That... Mm. I think you probably could, though, because they've had big events there, and Bellingham streamed their games on YouTube. But we could get Nathan just holding his, his camera phone up, and then we could do commentary for it. So let's just call the Whitecaps chat. Let's bring it to an end just now. There was more I was going to talk about, like just regarding... a. Fans on MDS and stuff. We'll get the Montreal game out out of the way, and we'll talk about maybe some stuff like that next week. Before we move on, just to, to go through some more of the chats here. Um, I like. I don't think you read this one earlier. John Ward said, "I don't need a pandemic to stop me going to BC Place to watch the Whitecaps." That made me laugh. Um, but he also said, "If the CFL and in turn BC Lions fold." Would the Whitecaps be able to get out of the BC Place contract and find a new location, i.e. UBC? Whitecaps need their own smaller compact stadium. I agree with that, but I don't. I think they, if, say, the Lions or CFL fold, which I don't think they will, because uh, I do think the only reason they didn't put it up because the owners didn't want to play this year. Uh, but the, um, I think if, if they fold, let's say they're, the Whitecaps are the only tenants, BC Place is not going to let them out of it. They're going to actually hold on to them even yeah. harder and try but, to in- incentivize them to stay there. Yeah. Also, UBC would not be the place for a stadium. It's like trying to, to find the ideal place. You, you want somewhere maybe that isn't downtown, but not too far away. New West. That sounds like a great place to build a stadium. Uh, just some other messages in the chat. Norbertos said Tim Lewicki changed MLSE's mindset on how to make TFC successful. They brought in Bradley, Geo. TFC used to be the laughing stock of Canadian MLS teams. They were. We had so much fun at their expense. But now look at where they are and now look who's laughing, basically. It's like compared to the Caps. It just shows you that it's easy to turn a team round in this league. And you only even have to look at what Oscar Perea is doing down in Orlando just now. He's kind of turned that team around and they were a laughing stock. And now they, I know they were a kind of on home turf, so to speak, at their own tournament, but they've played some nice football and it'll be interesting to see now what they're doing in the, the return of the actual league. But again, he seems to have turned them around. So, Michael, I commented there, but, and I'm sure I told you this, and I don't know if we talked about it on the show at the time, but someone in and around that time when, when like Wiki was turning around TFC, uh, someone within the Whitecaps front office said to me, or it was maybe it was even after his time, after he was gone from there, but um, said to me, Tim Laiwiki is the kind of visionary leader that the Vancouver Whitecaps need. Someone who has a vision for making the club quality and moving it forward and, and letting it be all that it can be. That's what we need here. Um, mm. that, that has not happened. I think Mark Panis was the closest... Yeah, it sounds like they had they were going for somebody, but then decided not to keep them. But it sounds like Axel is more like the status quo. Uh, the more and more I hear him talk and hear his interviews, and 
hear, hear him talk about his approach, it sounds more and more like it fits in with Bobby, Rachel, Greg Anderson, Greg Kerfoot, and Jeff Mallett with what, who they are, what they've done, and what they want, which is really, really, really unfortunate. Well, it was interesting to hear uh, Pete Shad, as I mentioned earlier on TSN this morning, he said for him that the jury's still out on Axel. And for like Pete to come out and say that is, you don't kind of always expect him to kind of just be as critical as that. But it was a very critical little section he had on the Whitecaps. But he's not sure that Axel's doing what the Whitecaps are really needing. Yeah, right now there's the because even like like you're talking about in Bombay, uh, the the transfer came all of a sudden, and they probably didn't have enough time to replace him, but. Honestly, these transfers don't happen. Rarely they happen all of a sudden. They they have an inkling that this is going to happen over a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, so he wanted they, to they play could have Europe. Gone. He made it very clear he wanted to yeah, play in Europe. So they should have had a target ready to go or two or three targets ready to go whenever there was an offer from Wang. And so they should have been ready to pull the trigger if they need to because anybody who watches this team knows that they have issues in the midfield with Inbom in the midfield. Imagine taking them out. And like I think you you jokingly commented during the game on uh, on Tuesday was was Imbom maybe more important than we realized because they went down three 0 Well, but that's I mean that's part of the, the whole thing with Inbom. It was we didn't talk about this before, but um, the whole thing was it felt like he it was set up to be like a, a, a two year or two and a half year or whatever stint here because he was brought in as a young designated player. And by some of the sounds of it, they never had any plan whatsoever to to keep him here longer than 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 that when they'd yeah. have to pay down more of his salary. So it's surprising that they, they didn't in one sense, maybe it's surprising that they didn't get more for him. I just realized I missed an opportunity to run a headline off Wang out. Yeah. That's not yeah. like me. I was shocked that you missed you could have used a lot of uh, headlines for that. I, I I loved when Michael Cox played for Edmonton. The fun I had on Twitter with that when we played them in the Voyagers Cup. Anyway, back to some more messages here. Norberto's also said uh, he can see Reina going to play for a Liga MX team, which I could see that as well. He kind of fits that. He plays for Peru. That kind of helps his resume. Matt Johnson says he missed the Reina chat earlier, but he says, what is his position? He's not a nine. He's not a false nine. He's not a 10. He's not a, a winger. He's got talent, but what, what is he? That's a good question. He's a secondary striker for me. Like he's a guy that can play. He needs to play in a two-man front, and uh, with with a either a target guy or a, either any kind of other striker. But he needs to play in a two-man front. He yeah, and I just said this in the comments as well. You, yeah, I agree with you. His best position is as a second striker, where he has the freedom to play in behind, off of a main striker or around a main striker. I think he's probably better with someone who's both. Bigger, stronger, physical, but also good technically. Um, and so in terms of Matt asked where that could fit in in New England with Bruce Arena, I think they have some players that he could partner really well with, but that might mess up what they're doing right now. Actually, I, I, would, I, I know I, this is probably not a position in soccer. I think he's a roamer, basically. <laughs> he, he needs to be able to – he needs to have basically no defensive responsibilities and to be able to go wherever he needs to go in order to pick up the ball and run with it. But that's the thing in the mo- in the modern game, you can't have players like that. Like, yeah. unless you can't have passengers, no, uh, because especially defensively. 
Yeah, because even when you have one, that means that everyone else is having to make up for that. Yeah. I, I've referenced this conversation years ago with Tater, talking about Davide Cumento. And, and Davide, in the ideal world, would be a guy you give some freedom to in terms of defensive responsibility so that he can be even more creative going forward. But the problem is when you do that in MLS, you, you put so much burden on your other players, especially if you're also having a center forward who's in a similar boat. So then you have two players, right? So that was always one of the problems for Davide uh, in his time in, in Vancouver. Yeah, Kumiento was best when the other team was one man down. That's essentially the best time to bring him one. Or he got to play you know, at wide with Adrian Connor. Yeah, exactly. The, the last thing which we'll, we'll read out here, which was a, a tweet from C.D. Pryor, who it was in reply to like what, what we could get back for Montero or Reyna or whatever. So he said, how about Reyna and Montero plus Gam to sport in Kansas City for Johnny Russell? Doesn't that sound like a fair deal, lads? No, Kansas City will never go for that. That's it for our sort of chats and everyone thank you for everyone that has sent messages and hi to drew shaw who's watching from prince george he's looking forward to seeing ben fisk back in victoria next year where he belongs i was sad to see him go but yeah we're going to move on to talking some canadian action next cpl uh we'll be back chatting about that after this hi i'm kevin alleman you're listening to the aftn radio Bands are just putting it on. Why can't they be the same as their songs? I can't help it, I'm so naive. Another record with my heart on the sleeve. Is he as cool as he writes them? Not always, and I hold that against him. I believe I've only just discovered the replacements. How have I only just found out about the replacements? Some of them are nearly as old as my parents. How have I only just discovered the replacements? Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the second of tonight's three-of-a-kind selection from former AFTN Artist of the Month, Art Brute. That was a song called The Replacements, taken from their 2009 album, Art Brute vs. Satan. Coincidentally, a pastiche of the famous Mogwai song, Mogwai vs. Satan. And like I mentioned, that was the second of tonight's Three of a Kind songs, following on from I Ludicrous with Their Unstoppable, kicking off part three. Have you worked out what the link is this week? If you have, what do you think the next song could be that kicks off part five? And if you haven't worked it out yet, see if you can get it from the song that does kick off the next part. Anyway... Let's get back to the football chat now and let's turn our attentions away from the Whitecaps and MLS and into the Canadian Premier League and the Island Games. So, 
we're just over a week into the island games. What's your, what's your initial thoughts? And I gave some thoughts on it on last week's show. Zach, first of all, how, how much have you been watching? What have you thought of the action so far? Uh, honestly, I have not watched uh, that much. I've seen, uh, I think, at least two full games live. And two. The number two is very important. I've watched highlights of uh, of many of them, most of them. Um, again, I like for the most part. I think, like last year, I'm I'm encouraged. Like, there's been some good play. There's been some really exciting goals. There's been uh, I know there's lots of jokes about the penalties and VAR and you know some decisions and whatnot. But uh, all in all, I think it's been it's been pretty exciting and engaging. Yeah, the, the the people have been putting a full effort out there. It's like it's there's definitely no like training session going on like other people have. Um, it was great to see Busto score a goal. Hopefully, yeah. kind of wish there was a winner, but it yeah. ended up being a draw there. And, um, Verhoeven, and Zach Verhoeven in the same oh. game. Yeah, that was another fantastic yeah. goal. Did you pa- pronounce it Pa's reaction on the bench as well was tremendous. Yeah. I, I mentioned uh, in our chat that we should they should just have an ISO cam on Pa the whole yeah. game and that would sell tickets there. How can you not love Pa? The, the one thing the one thing about this tournament and I know obviously they have to do it because of COVID, but it would have been nice like like last year instead of having a full season to do the tournament like this instead. That yeah. way they kind of get everything going, and then this year they would have launched this actual season. But I, th- I thought I think the tournament's working really well for them. Um, because it's it's definitely uh, cost, and it's amazing that the CPL is able to put this on. Yet uh, a bit a long a, a league that has had long history has basically canceled their season um, because they couldn't afford it. Like the CFL, it's it's like but the CPL yeah. good on them to find a solution. They they got some games on. They're going to get a season. They're going to get a champion this year. And uh, there's something MLS should have done where instead of. Uh, uh, doing this tournament and actually starting it, they should have just ended it right there and handed the trophy to whoever won that. But but Steve, also there's a pretty significant difference in you know uh, cost involved in making the oh. two, those two weeks. Oh, for salaries sure. as well, because there's so yeah. many folk in the CPL that's making less than fifteen thousand. Yeah, so, I understand that, but um, still, relatively to a new yeah. uh, league doing able to pull this off and a league that's been around for a long time, it's amazing. Oh, I know. I, I, I think the tournament has been a fantastic success. And I always thought it would be. It's going to be a shame for the four teams that basically go out at the end of phase one because that's their season. Seven games and they're going to be gone. And then that's it until next April. So, I mean, that's tough when you've put so much effort into getting ready for the season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's been like exciting games with late equalizers. And yeah, it, it's been... It's been really, really, really encouraging. And yeah, the fact that everyone's still in it, it uh, I mean, I know we're still early, but everyone still feels alive and like they have a chance and are hopeful is, is huge. And I think for a lot of the, the, the fans, people who are engaged in season one, this feels like quite the opposite of what happened, what happened last year. Let's just have a look at some of the latest happenings over the weekend. And there was certainly a, a lot of drama, and especially late drama, in some of the games that, that were played. Pamadoukas Pacific FC went down to a heartbreaking 2-1 defeat to Forge on Saturday afternoon. They went behind, fought back to level up in the first half at 1-0, into second half stoppage time, pushing forward, had a great chance to tie things up, 
and you thought, ah well, at least they've taken a point off the defending champions, but Forge go up the pitch, Captain Kyle Becker puts away a chance in the 97th minute, giving all three points to Forge, temporarily putting them top of the standings, and leaving Pacific FC heartbroken. But Pamaduka spoke after the game about how he was proud of his, his players' fighting spirit and that they went toe-to-toe with the defending champs. So he took a lot from the game. And there was certainly more late drama on Sunday. Atletico Ottawa, 2-0 up after the first 16 minutes. That was how it stayed until the 88th minute when up popped Kevin Alleman for his first goal for FC Edmonton to give them hopes that they could do something. Three minutes later... Easton on Garo pokes it home from the goal line after some fantastic work by former Whitecap Anthony Ciceris. Wow, what a fight back from FC Edmonton. They could have won it as well in the rest of stoppage time, but settling for a two-all draw. And what that will do for the confidence of Jeff Paulus's team on what was a very emotional night after losing the, the club's first ever captain, Chris Cooey, to cancer just a, a few hours before the game had kicked off. And yeah, keeps him right in the hunt. Halifax went down to a 2-1 defeat to Cavalry later on on Sunday night. Cavalry were pretty much in control of that. Halifax pulled a goal back with a penalty into stoppage time. But I mean, those results leave the standings like incredible. Cavalry and Forge have played four games each. They're the top two. The other six teams all played three matches. Three points separating Valor in third to Edmonton in eighth. The top four advance into the Phase 2 of the Island Games tournament. All to play for in the coming days. And it's going to make for a very, very exciting end to the the Phase 1 festivities. And there's some big matches coming up this week as well. And and you could see some teams maybe slightly pull away from the pack this week. And some just drop off and, and their hopes fade. But there's been so many draws so far that every team is basically in with a realistic chance of making the top four. And moving on to phase two. Couple of big matches coming up this week. On Tuesday, you've got Pacific FC versus Valor. Valor are sitting third, Pacific are sixth, but a win for Pacific moves them above Valor in the standings. York 9 face a tricky one against Forge on Wednesday. A big one on Wednesday night, though. Edmonton against Halifax Wanderers. Edmonton sitting bottom at the moment of the, the standings on one point from their three games. Halifax are fifth with two points from their three games. You have to kind of feel if there's a loser in this one, it's going to make it very, very hard for them to kind of advance into the the next stage of things. So I want to play you a little bit of audio actually from both head coaches, Jeff Pylos from Edmonton and Stephen Hart from Halifax Wanderers. I did the Halifax one after their game on Sunday and the Edmonton one after their game against Cavalry on Thursday night. But basically, I I just asked both head coaches what they feel they need to get from these remaining games to to make it into the top four. And I asked Stephen Hart an additional question as well, just about the tournament so far. So let's hear from Jeff Paulus and Stephen Hart. The results so far, on paper, you've got your your hardest two games, I guess, out of the way. The focus now is all on the five teams that you've got a really good chance of taking points off. These next two games, they're against the two teams directly above you in the standings. Do you feel that these games coming up could be kind of the make or break for the team for the rest of the tournament? 
Yeah, I think we've um, – so five left. I, I believe we're going to have to win three of them. You know, you look at with so many draws, I, I thought coming in four wins would do it. Right now where everybody's tying each other, you know, I'm thinking three wins will probably be enough to get you a top four spot. So um, that that's our mindset. You know, we've got a big game against a team that that will also kind of, you know, be feel the same way we do today um, with their result yesterday. And, um, you know, so they'll be up for it. You know, I'm sure that their manager has, has you know, got them back at it today and, and um, you know, is trying to sort that out. So there'll be two motivated teams, you know, us against uh, Atletico. On Sunday, but yeah, we've we've got to start. We obviously have to win a game. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, <laughs> it is what it is at this point. We've lost two to the two top teams, but um, three out of five—that's our mindset. You you've had the last two games, possibly on paper, the the toughest ones that you're going to have in this first phase against the, the top two teams. Good showing in that. The rest of your games now are against those teams that's in and around you in the table. And there's only three points separating third to eighth right now. What do you feel you're going to need to, to take from these matches, do you think, to, to claim a top four spot? Um, uh, that's, that's a good question. I think um, we, we would need to, to get, well, if we get, if we get six points, right, we'll be on, we'll be on eight. Um, but things are so tight, uh, I, I think we, we, we need to get nine points. The, the quality of the, the play in the tournament, it's, it's been really strong in the first 11 days. Have you been surprised at the intensity of the teams having been off for so long? And just what's your general thoughts on the, the start of the tournament so far? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit surprised. Not so much surprised at the intensity, um, but, but the, the quality of some of the games has been good. I know, you know, I mean... We have to be realistic. Sometimes it's it's a bit rushed, and and you you need to really slow it down and, and put your foot on the ball, and um, you know be a little patient. But with five substitutions, you know you you're in a situation where teams can press a lot more um, because they have fresh legs coming on. So it does make for a bit of a hectic game. But but overall, I think so far the quality has has not been bad at all. And we, you know, you have to be fair to to some of the, the teams that played games at two o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon, in the heat um, on turf. Um, I, I thought that they're, they're doing well. As we mentioned earlier, for me, the class act in the CPL at the Island Games so far has been Cavalry FC. It's clear as well that they're still not firing on all cylinders, but I mean, they've looked pretty good in their games. Four matches, three wins, one draw, that was against defending champs Forge. The latest one came on Sunday night, 2-1 win over Halifax Wanderers. Two clean sheets in those four matches as well. And I jumped on the post-game call with Tommy Fielden Jr. after that win against Halifax. So it's going to bring you a little bit about that now. Just to get Tommy's thoughts on how the team has looked over these first four games and just what he's made of the Island games so far. You've got four games under your belt now. When you look back at the team, how they played in that first game against Forge to where they are now, how have you seen this team grow over those four games and how far away do you feel the team is before they're kind of firing on all cylinders for you? 
I, th- I think what we've seen, Michael, is um, we, we've won the football matches or, or taken points in different ways. I thought we were very good against Forge in the first half and dictated control. You know, they've, they've, they've got a, a cut and edge to them and, you know, scored two good goals on us, but we didn't quit, right? We got back, we kept going in the game, got out. Um, you know, Valor, we dominated the first half, second half, just shut up shop. I think that was the, the inner Italian in me. Um, and I thought Edmonton, we were good from start to finish, really controlled both sides of the ball. And today we were made to work. And like I said, you know, Halifax are a bloody good team. Um, but we found a way to score goals and and, and, and then just keep it tight. Um and not give away too many chances because they're very dangerous going forward. So I think what we've shown is we've got different layers to us, but we've we've kept rotating the team, which isn't always easy because you lose a bit of rhythm. But I think we've found a way to create the freshness against teams that perhaps have played a game less than us. What have you made of the, the tournament so far then in the first sort of 10, 11 days? There's been a lot of draws. There seems a lot of parity. Just what's been your general thoughts on it? Uh, it's been entertaining, that's for sure. You you, you don't want to don't want to log out too early because you're guaranteed there's a ninety something goal in in there. But you know that's the nature of this beast. It's competitive. It's games every three days. Um, but it's entertaining. I think there's some good football going on. I think there's some teams are going out to win it. You know, and um, I think it's a, a good advertisement for a product that's you know we're, we're still growing. Cavalry FC head coach Tommy Wilden Jr. There. And they definitely look to be the team to beat so far. But this is a marathon, not a sprint. As long as you get into the top four, it's all to play for when we get to phase two. But it does look like Cavalry, once again, look to be the team that they're going to have to beat if anyone wants to lift the championship. Last thing just to say about the CPL. Now, the broadcasting and the schedule... Things have been changing quite a lot. They've made a lot of the midweek games now to kick off at 5pm our time, which is going to be better for fans out here. They're not having a clash now with the Champions League on Sunday, so there's that as well. You can watch the games on chch.com on a Sunday and on CBC on the Saturday, all of which makes your One Soccer subscription not seem as good value as... I didn't think it was very good value anyway, but... It's good that these games are getting out there, that more folk are going to see it. But just just to get your thoughts on it, because I gave my thoughts last week, the, the way that it's done through One Soccer, and I know why it's done through One Soccer, but I, I don't want to beat this over the head because we talked about it a lot last year. I just don't think when it's a short tournament like this, this was the way to broadcast it. No, they, they needed to do it more effectively. They, you, I, I'm not sure if they did this or not, so you guys have to... Uh, let me know. They even could have done packages where they did the whole your home team package, so you don't have to buy the whole thing. You just want to watch, you know, your seven Pacific games. You you spend you know what thirty bucks on that for the ten seven Pacific games. They could have done packages like that. So they going into the even going into next year, they need to look at that. So you don't have to spend sixty bucks on a full season. Maybe spend twenty dollars on a Pacific season. You get more. You actually might even make more than people wanting to spend sixty dollars. Uh, yeah, John John O'Flynn in the in the comments talking about he got it. He spent he spent the seventy eight bucks. He says uh, only because he dropped TSN and Sportsnet back in March, mm-hmm. uh, and he did not renew his three season tickets with the Whitecaps. So getting it, it was some value for him. Oh yeah, it is worth but, it. But no, I I agree, Michael. It's kind of the whole thing. I I I didn't like how they did it. Uh, I understand why they did it and stuff, but it just all the things combined. The 
taking it away from season ticket holders without you know them having to buy in in a new way. Um, the taking away the option to subscribe for a month, obviously because that's all people would probably do because they would be able to watch the tournament for for just a month or whatever. Uh, seems just a bit off to me, or just not just not it's, a, not it's ideal. It's not it's not goodwill for it. It's a, a league that's starting so uh, like it's only their second year. Yeah, like that's true. MLS probably MLS probably didn't do this in, like until 10, 15 years down into their thing. So you can't do this too early. You have to build up. You have to build up the audience before you screw them over. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm really happy that the, like you said, the weekend games have been available. Uh, it's interesting to see that. I don't know if you've seen, but um, because the the games have been on on the Fox Fox Sports Two or whatever in the states, yeah. there's now. Some American. I, I, appre- I appreciate you guys knowing what time the game's on and, and and posting it in chat, so then I know that oh, there's a game on. I better turn it on because I have no. I keep forgetting all the time because I have no idea what day day of the week it is most of the time. Michael, have you seen the groups? Like, there's a Central New York supporters group for Halifax. No. Oh yeah, if you go on Twitter, you can find. I forget the actual hash. I'll tell oh, you that's superb. And half the time they're supporting Pacific because they don't realize they're the same. No, no, no. They're no, because they got the same uniform. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, you'll like this. It's at Wandering Yanks. Wandering Yanks CNY. Independent Supporters Club for the, for the Halifax Wanderers Soccer Club of the CPL. We are based in central New York. Following hey. nine, two followers. Are you sure it's a supporters group and it's not Cockney rhyming slang? Maybe it's somebody from England. That, 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 that oh, maybe. They, 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 they got that term and they use it. Use it. So we've got one last little bit to to chat about in tonight's show, and that's going to be looking ahead to Canada and their World Cup qualifying route. We'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And as always, kicking off this final part is the final selection of this week's Three of a Kind. That was another of AFTN's former Artists of the Month, Pavement There, with a song called Unseen Power of the Picket Fence. A song all about the band R.E.M., Did you work out what this week's link was? Well, we kicked off part three with I Ludicrous and a song called They're Unstoppable, all about another former AFTN Artist of the Month, Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine. We kicked off part four with Art Brute, former Artist of the Month themselves, with a song called The Replacements, all about the band The Replacements. 
and kicking off this part, Pavement, Unseen Power of the Picket Fence, a song all about R.E.M. Yes, the connection this week is it was songs by bands all about other bands. Did you get that one? If you did, well done. Give yourself a pat on the back. If you didn't, we'll be back with another three of a kind in next week's show. So the last little bit, Canada's path to Qatar 2022. It's all set. It's going to change. Let's be brutally honest because all this is bullshit. It's not going to go ahead. But let's just kind of play along with what is meant to be happening. Canada drawn in Group B with Suriname. Bermuda, the Cayman Islands and Aruba, which in normal times would be an absolutely fantastic little road trip. I'd love that. That would be absolutely amazing. Canada, 73rd in the world. And they're going to be playing Suriname, who's 141. Bermuda, 168th. The Caymans are 193 and Aruba's 200. This is a piece of piss. And if anyone says otherwise, then... Canada shouldn't even be in the discussion of going to a World Cup. This is a formality, surely. Yeah, two players that will probably really be interested in playing Cayman Islands, actually traveling there, is probably Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies after oh, the contracts they've signed recently. Yeah, it's been their lifelong dream. They, they want to go to Cayman Islands for sure. But other than that, yeah, they're the, it's the easiest group. It's not going to help them in the FIFA rankings for sure, these games, whether the qualifiers or not. I'm confident that we could put Zach up front for this one and still get past them. Well, maybe in goal. That would be better. <laughs> that would not be good. But, I mean, it, it should be be pretty straightforward. Get through that, and then the winners play the winners of Group E, which should be Haiti. Nicaragua, maybe, but again, Haiti's 86th in the world. Nicaragua's something like 142. They're below Suriname. So it should be Haiti. And as we know, what can go wrong with playing Haiti? I don't know what. I don't think they've any voodoo dolls left from the last time, so I mean it should all be good. But the 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 first round of games they're going to be getting played in the October and November international window. There's no way international travel for football is surely going to be taking part when still potentially got 14 days quarantine to get back into Canada. You're not going to have the likes of the European players flying over for these tin pot games either. I can see a lot of the, the, the countries pulling out altogether. I, I can't see it going ahead unless they have a bubble environment that all the teams go to and you're playing it, playing it in there. There's, there's surely no way that we're going to have international games getting played in October and November. It's similar like if they go to like Orlando and all, like they go, one group goes in and at a time. Uh, the four, the, whatever the, the groups are, four or five teams, they all go to the one location play all their games, and then they're out, and then another group comes in, play all their games. That's the only way I can see it happening. And the thing is, what messes it up also is the uncertainty of the European leagues because we don't know, like, it, you don't know when everything's going to start up again. Are they going to – is is there going to be another wave in September and October yeah. where they have to shut everything down again? So, at this point, I don't even – I, I don't even. I think the World Cup is in danger of being actually happening, even though it's yeah. like so far down the road. I know because if you ha- if you can't get a qualifying in place for it, I mean that's all. Who knows what? Was Maybe it's it- like South South Korea, Canada, all over again in the like the two thousand Gold Cup where they just flip a coin and Maybe. see who gets in. I Wasn't mean, that drawing straws or is it flipping coins? 
I thought it was a flip of a coin. Okay. If if they can go ahead and they just make the top eight go into the octopus, as I'm calling it, then Canada would be would be there. They'd be one of the the tentacles that that would have made it through. But I mean, even that is surely got to be in doubt as well. And I know you're looking way into next year. The way that things are just now, it's hard to see international travel. I mean, you can see domestic travel, maybe even Canada and America will get better, but international travel. I think right now they just put the schedule out, hoping for the best, because they got to have a schedule out for people to be ready to do something. Um, but everything's everything's like a, a wrestling card is subject to change. Uh, so there, there's nothing set in stone right now at all. No. But I mean, it's like Europa League and Champions League. They had to have that in the one place. And I think that's the only way that this can work. And you, you, you pick, normally it would be America, but I mean, it doesn't seem a great place to go unless you do it again at, at Disney World of Sports, which once everyone was in the bubble, everything worked out great. We've seen it in PI as well. If you're in a bubble environment, and the hockey as well, once you're in that bubble environment, things seem to go well. It's when you're not in the bubble environment, as the USL teams have shown. So for me, the way to do this is to keep the bubbles going. We've already kind of had word out that a Chicago Fire player has tested positive of COVID. So we're not sure what impact that will have or whether he had it going into the Columbus game, whether he caught it from travelling to the Columbus game, stuff like that. Obviously, that's league play, but then if you're factoring in international stuff, it's an even greater risk. Even if you're chartering in and out, you're going to different countries, and I just don't really see how this is going to come off. But I guess we'll see how this all plays out in the coming weeks and months. I mean, mentioned the Champions League there. Can't obviously go this episode without giving a huge congratulations to Alfonso Davies, winning his very first Champions League with Bayern Munich on Sunday afternoon. 1-0 win. Some good stuff from Alfonso in the final. And it's just capped off a fantastic time for Fonzi after he headed over to Germany. Also capped off some good stuff for the Whitecaps too, because the rumours are they're going to get about a million euros from Fonzi starting that final and then winning it. So let's see how that gets spent. Or not as the case might be. So that is nearly all for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show, but as always, we cannot leave you without this week's wavelength. And this week we are going back to a song from 2005, from an English singer-songwriter called Jim Neuer. It was his debut EP. It also featured on his debut album, Tower of Love, that was released in December 2005. And some of you may recognise it. It was used in an Adidas World Cup commercial in 2006. This is the Fat Boy Slim remix of the song. This is Jim Neuer with Eeny Meeny.
Jim Neuer there with Eeny Meeny. I picked that song just because in the first part of the show we were talking about like playground games, attackers and defenders and stuff like that. And when you think of childhood football, for me it comes down to things like just running around endlessly for hours, playing football till it gets dark, jumpers for goalposts and kicking your ball over a neighbour's fence and then trying to get it back. Anyway, hope you enjoyed that one. Hope you enjoyed this show. Just before we go, though, lads, let everyone know where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. For me, it's at ZacharyM. And I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Also for some Scottish chat on AFTN website. You can find us on YouTube, but you'll know that if you're watching YouTube stream on AFTN Canada. Please subscribe. And turn on notifications, give the thumbs up to this video, leave comments, it helps with the algorithms. And I hadn't really cared about subscribers before, but if we get to a thousand subscribers, we can make some money. And I think we get a little plaque or something, or that might just be a hundred thousand, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a little hard to get the plaque. Well, let's get us a hundred thousand then. <laughs> it doesn't have to be real subscribers either, just get a hundred thousand. Oh. If we just need bots, you should talk to the FO, I'm sure they could help us with that. That's what I meant by that. Anyway, until next time, thanks for listening, take care, and mourn the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful, and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.
E F T. E.